Thank you. Um, firstly, I um, I think we read the wrong passage there. That was my fault. It should have been a little bit about where the children come to Jesus for that second reading, Paul. So I'm not quite sure what I quit, what I told you to read, but it doesn't matter because we'll. Um, I will come back to that a little bit later on. But um, I was a little surprised, but yeah, so the first reading was a little bit random, and Steve's going to unpack that a little bit later. But the second bit was definitely about the little children coming to Jesus. But I will. I'll find that in a minute, and we will read it. Don't worry. My apologies. Um, we're going to continue our influence series um, this morning, thinking about the influence of young people. So we're going to do it a little bit differently. For the next 20 minutes or so, um, we're going to have a bit of a conversation, that's what we're calling it, on this theme. So Steve, Ella and I will be reflecting on one of the passages we've just read and, a, and another passage as well, and offering a few thoughts about what God might be saying to us as a church um, around influence and young people. Okay, it's a little bit of an experiment in, in style. So um, bear with us, it might not flow kind of completely um, from section to section, but hopefully think of it as a bit like the one show. So um, kind of little sections um, joining together and hopefully we'll give you some uh, food for thought. And um, you might have to do the thinking about what the links are and I guess decide what God wants you to take away this morning. So um, the first thing I just want to say is that whoever we are this morning, whether we like it or not, we have an influence on children and young people. Um, we, uh, whether we're parents or grandparents or aunties or uncles or friends or employers or um, teachers or mentors, um, we um, have an influence and we have an impact. On young people. Um, like most um, teachers and children across the country, Steve, who's also a teacher, uh, and I have had to adapt the last few weeks to online um, learning and online teaching. And um, it's been an interesting journey. And I think whereas most primary school teachers and perhaps being bombarded with eager children asking questions and showing and telling their pets and their things in their kitchen and whatever they can find to show their teacher. I spend most of my time staring at a blank screen, um, a black screen, because they're not allowed to have their cameras on. So it's lovely to see all your faces this morning. And I spend most of my time wondering, if I'm honest, if I'm talking to myself, is anyone actually there? Is anyone actually listening? But although um, children and young people often give us the idea um, half the time that they aren't listening, um, they really are, okay? Well, sometimes anyway. And what we say and what we do really matters to them. We do have an influence and a responsibility um, as role models. But what we want to think about this morning as well is thinking about it, I guess, the other way. How can we allow children and young people to influence and to minister um, to us? As you hopefully saw, um, those of you who were here at the start of the service, the slides that Sam kindly put together for us, um, we saw some comments from folks at ABC about how young people and children had um, had an influence on them and the impact has, has been really powerful for so many within our congregation they talked about exploring um, faith together the idea that young people can shape the way that we as adults or perhaps believers who've known Jesus for a while actually see Jesus they can bring a real wonder and joy with their simple open faith 
and um thank you Benice has put it in the chat so it's the chat it's Matthew um, 19 13 to 15 sorry Paul I gave you completely the wrong passage and um, my fault um but it's the bit where Jesus says to the disciples, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And he goes on to, and I'm paraphrasing now, so sorry if I don't get it totally right. But he says, if we don't come to um, God as a, oh, thank you. Oh, I love you guys. You're so amazing. If only you were there in my online lessons <laughs> to help me out. Um, that's not the, no, you put the wrong one up again. Don't worry. I thought it was the right, the, oh, it's not. Benisa put the wrong one in again. Oh, I'm getting confused. Well, just, I'll just keep, keep going. Sorry, guys. Um, but if we, um, if we let, um, Jesus asks them, here we are, we've got it. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such of these. And he says, whoever does not enter the kingdom like a little child will not enter it. So he commands us to embrace and to love children and to welcome them as he does. Okay. And um, he commands us to learn from them too, to be like them. Okay, to have that childlike heart that Jesus is telling us is crucial to understand fully his love and grace. And as someone put it, I think it might be Marilyn put it so well in the comments at the start. Um, this whole thing about influence with young people is about learning um, and listening and working together. So um, this morning we want to consider how we can encourage children and young people to come to Jesus and to know him and whether there are things that we can do that hinder them um, from doing so. But we do want to consider um, how we can be influenced by the way children and young people receive the kingdom of God. How can we listen to and learn from them? So sorry, after that slightly chaotic start with the wrong passage, I'm going to hand over to Steve um, and he's going to take it from there. OK. Please don't expect it to be any less chaotic with me taking over. Right. I want to. Hello. Welcome. Uh, I'm Steve Aylin. Um, I've done uh, the service at Alton a few times over the years. Um, I was trying to work out when the first time was, and I wonder whether the first time I spoke at Alton, um, we, we might not have had any children. I don't remember. Um, if we did, then they would just have been toddlers at the time. Well, our two girls are now 24 and 22, and um, they won't leave home. It's really oh, just cheeseman. I don't know how you've done it, but uh, our two, they're still here. So, yeah, there we go. I love them very much. Um, yeah, they're 24 and 22, and grown-ups take up a lot of room in your house. Okay, I want to introduce you to a word, and um, hopefully it will turn up behind me. There it is. So um, young people often get talking, talked about as a, a group, those young people, them young people, oh, young people in Britain, young people this, young people the other. I just want to have a little think, first of all, about the things that they do have in common. I don't think there's many. Um, they, let's go for it being school age kids, so up to 18 or so. It could stretch a little bit further, but they, um, apart from the very oldest of them, so the school age ones, they have all been born since 9 11. Um, so the world that we live in now, where um, the suspicion, um, x rays at the airport, taking your shoes off to go through customs, all that sort of stuff, that is the world that they have been born into. They, um, they 
have never had to look up something in a book. Um, they can, and they do, and some choose to, but they've never had to because they have had Wi-Fi the whole of their lives. And they all think that 1980 is about 100 years ago. So they, every single one of them, doesn't believe that Aston Villa used to be really good. Now, there's not very many things that they have in common. So I would like, please, and this isn't just about young people. This can be about black people. This can be about women. This can be about people of different races. But I think they is a really dangerous word. So if you start a sentence with, well, they, please cross it out. Don't use they. Because I think in the same way as uh, black people, women, minorities, everything, it's not about they, it's about a bunch of people. Um, I'm, uh, I'm 51. No, I know, I know, it's hard to believe. Um, but I don't think I should be representing people of five years either way with my age. So if that's not fair to ask me to represent 50-year-olds, then it's not fair to ask one young person to represent all of young people. Um, and just a few things I was thinking about, I mean, obviously, funnily enough, I've been thinking about this a bit. Um, but when we were back in school, uh, back in October, November time, um, it was uh, American elections and all that kind of stuff. And uh, there were various different people that we were thinking about in my tutor group. And, um, you know, you could hear, you sometimes hear the phrase, oh, young people, they, they, well, they, they really care about the, the environment. They care about the environment. Well, that might be true of some of them. And some of them might think that Greta Thunberg is a fantastic human being who has done a lot for our planet and all that sort of stuff. But others of them think she's just so irritatingly whiny. She should just wind her neck in and be quiet. They doesn't summarise young people. Now, most people, most of you, won't have the chance to talk to lots of young people at once. I mean, as a teacher, you kind of do. And I do assemblies every so often. So I have the chance to talk to whole year groups. But most of us, when we're talking to young people, we'll talk to one young person or a small group of young people. And it's worth finding out about them as individuals rather than as they. So there we go. That's my little first bit. Um, I'm going to hand over to Ella Clark. I'll just say what I've said because it's good to repeat yourself. There you go. First rule of teaching. Just say what you said over and over and over again. They is a really, really horrible word. Young people are not they. Young people are a collection of people. Around the time of the um, American election, uh, my form group, they're year 10, so they're uh, 14, 15 years old. Uh, we were talking about how the American system works. And some of them were really interested, and a few of them had got massive, massive opinions about all of the front runners and all of the campaigns and all the rest of it. And a couple of people in my form didn't know what a member of parliament was. So we were talking about, you know, the British version and, you know, your MP, your <laughs> member of parliament. My what? 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 My what? And they. They isn't a word that I think we should ever use when we're talking about young people, because they are, like the rest of us, a bunch of individuals. Now, hopefully, Ella now doesn't feel the pressure to represent the whole of young people. And I hope that she's able to tell her story, but I'm gonna hand over to her. 
Thank you. Um, well, I was going to talk about my own experience of life at the moment, but as you've just said, that doesn't really represent a lot of people and my experience would probably massively differ from a lot of people my age. But I think one thing that unifies us, one thing that a lot of us are feeling is the loss of experience at the moment. It's definitely something I feel and a lot of people I know also feel because the films and media tell us that these teenage years are the best years of our lives. We grow up being told this. We grow up around adults saying how much they wish they could go back to their teenage years. And there's all these once in a lifetime things like prom or freshers week, or just going out with friends and going to parties. And even when things go back to normal, we can't really get those back. And I think that's something that a lot of young people are feeling right now. But like Steve says, most things are very different. And the news that we're going back to school in a week is a prime example of that. Um, it has such different reactions, even in my own house. I'm ecstatic about going back to school. I'm so excited. Just talking about it, massive smile on my face. Can't wait. But my sister is definitely the opposite. She's not happy that I'm so happy about going back. Um, I, myself, need a lot of structure and routine and just human interaction outside of my house. But a lot of people are dreading it school causes a lot of social anxiety and exam stress and I think it does just show how much diversity there is within young people and this is the same growing up in church everyone has different experiences of it but again something that a lot of young people would probably agree on is the value of the intergenerational relationships that sense of community and friendship with people of different ages within the church we do have a lot of influences that most young people probably don't have the opportunity of having. And one of my favorite things about growing up in the church is the regular interactions with other adults. Uh, as a young child, I would always look forward to talking to the grown-ups at my parents' uh, home group. And now that I'm grown up, I value the support and the guidance I have from my youth leaders. And I think the church has influenced me a lot and helped me become more confident as I've grown up and just generally had a massive part in my upbringing. And with that, I'll pass back to Steve. <coughs> Magic. Right, I, I'm gonna read um, the, uh, the Bible bit from before. And my bit was the right one, so thanks, Paul. <laughs> so uh, it's Matthew 17. I just read the one before. So it says, Jesus and his, Jesus and his followers went to Capernaum. There, the men who collected the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, does your teacher pay the temple tax? Jesus answered, yes, he does. Peter went into the house where Jesus was. Before Peter could speak, Jesus said to him, the kings on the earth get different kinds of taxes from people, but who are those who pay the taxes? Are they the, ch the king's children or do other people pay the taxes? What do you think? Peter answered, the other people pay the taxes. Jesus said, then the children of the king don't have to pay taxes, but we don't want to upset these tax collectors. So do this. Go to the lake and fish. After you catch the first fish, open its mouth. Inside its mouth, you will find a four drachma coin. Take that coin and give it to the tax collectors. That will pay the tax for you and for me. OK, so um, I want to just uh, stick some pictures on behind me. 
Ah, there's another bunch of disciples on the back of this thing, but I just, there we go. Um, there's four disciples just there. Now, I don't know whether that's the image that you have of the disciples or whether it's a bit more modern or whether it's a bit cartoony or whether it's that we've been using these videos uh, at Sunday school uh, that look like this. Oh, there's Jesus on the left and there's the disciples on the right. Okay, so bear that in mind as I tell this little story about this particular bit. Because, I mean, this is an internet-y theory. I mean, this, this isn't like I've made this up, but um, this is a thing that I've kind of gone with and have, have stuck with for quite a number of years. So here we go. Here is the theory. The disciples were kids. Right? Think about that for a second. The disciples were kids. Now, there's a couple of bits in the Bible, and one of them is one of the things that we just read to you. It doesn't seem to have much about kids, about fish and drachmas and all that sort of stuff. But here we go. Uh, this is from Exodus 30, 13 to 16. There's loads of rules about 20 year olds. And this is one of them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years and old, 20 years old and upward shall give. And there's a bunch of different rules about taxes and stuff that people have to pay. And it all seems to be centred on the idea of being 20. Now, let's just go back to the little verse that we had before, right at the very end. So Jesus and his disciples rock up to the temple. Jesus, does your master, uh, does your master pay the temple tax? Yes, he does. Peter, go and get some money. Uh, there'll, be, there'll be a fish with a coin in its mouth, or you can do some fishing and sell the fish and you'll get some money, but whichever way. That, that can be for another day. But right at the end, that will pay the tax for you, Peter, and me, Jesus. Maybe that's saying it will pay the tax for you, Peter, and me, Jesus, because we're the ones who are over 20. Now, that's not the only little thing. I'll read you this bit. As Jesus was walking by Lake Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon and Simon's brother, Andrew. These brothers were fishermen and they were fishing in the lake with a net. Jesus said to them, come follow me and I will make you a different kind of fisherman. You will bring in people, not fish. Simon and Andrew immediately left their nets and followed him. Jesus continued by walking by Lake Galilee. He saw two other brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee. They were preparing their nets to catch fish. Jesus told the brothers to come with him. So they immediately left the boat and their father and they followed Jesus. So Simon and his brother, they were in their boat. But James and John were in their father's boat. Now, it's not a, it's not a big like, oh, therefore they were little, therefore they were young. But I just wonder whether we should consider the fact that maybe Jesus' disciples weren't beardy old men. It's always said that John was the youngest of them. But maybe he was 10. And maybe the others were somewhere between 10 and 20. Anyway, there is a maybe, right? And I just wonder whether in actual fact, uh, this is the uh, Israeli under 16 youth team. I just wonder whether the disciples looked more like that. Uh, there's only 11 of them there. So Judas has obviously done a runner and Jesus is taking the photo. 
but I just wonder whether the disciples were young. Now, I'm not going to read through now loads of stories of what the disciples did. But can I ask you, please, the next time you hear a story of the disciples doing something, could you imagine that they might be like Jesus and his youth group? Can you please just imagine the things that they did? It would explain some of their hot-headedness. It would explain some of their kind of rush to do the right things. But you have to bear in mind, that they also healed people. You have to bear in mind that they did wonderful things. You have to bear in mind that all of them, apart from John, Judas is a bit of an exception, isn't he? But all of them, apart from John, went on to be martyred for what they believed in. Just, it might not be the real story. It doesn't matter, I don't think. But if Jesus and Peter are only paying the tax for two of them out of the crew, then maybe that hints of the disciples being younger than 20. So when you hear stories of the disciples, please bear in mind that it might be Jesus and his football team, Jesus and his youth group. And if Jesus trusted a youth group to do his stuff, then why do we need to wait until young people get older sometimes? That's not a criticism. It's just what it is, isn't it? Um, I don't know of very many churches that have got teenage deacons or teenage leaders or whatever Alton call your leadership team. But if someone has signed up and someone loves Jesus, then maybe the age thing isn't important. Jesus didn't just choose one or two young people. He perhaps chose Peter, who was older. He owned his own boat. And then the rest, perhaps, were teenagers. How would we, how could we, uh, do we need to? But how could we emulate that? Do we need to wait until someone is a, per a certain age? Or do we just need to wait until someone is willing and loves Jesus enough to follow him right I think I repeated myself at the end which is good I'm pleased with myself proper teaching Becky over to you thanks Steve um following on from that then I just want to um, show you this book now the reason why I'm going to show it you because I always forget the title of it because it's so long okay but this is a book by Rob Parsons called getting your kids through church without them without them ending up hating God okay long title really really readable book which I would recommend um, and I've been rereading this um, recently and um, there's a bit in here that's that caught my eye this week and it says this sometimes I think we bore kids out of the kingdom Jesus didn't do that he challenged them and um, Rob Parson goes on to speculate a bit like Steve has done how the disciples if they were a young kind of rowdy group how they might have got on in a traditional church he suspects that the young hot-headed loud-mouthed Peter in particular might have fidgeted through the sermon you know caused a bit of trouble in the youth group ruffled a few feathers here and there OK, and this reminds me, the analogy is not complete, but this reminds me of a certain young man 
who we know well, who was a bit of a handful in his Sunday school group, in his Bible Busters group. He often um, looked totally bored through um, Job's Bible studies, often threw out red herring questions. And much to the surprise of his youth leaders, and I think his parents as well, um, this young man felt a calling by God to do a gap year with Youth for Christ, something that was totally out of his comfort zone, something that he'd never really um, ever thought that he would end up doing. Five years later, George Green has a theology degree and is our church youth worker. And we're so um, thankful for that. And I think um, one of the things that Parsons highlights that struck me is how um, Jesus involved the disciples. Um, as young as they may have been, he challenged them and Jesus took risks by challenging them to take risks and encouraging them to take risks. He gave them a vision to follow and he showed them that they all had something to give. They weren't perfect, they had a lot to learn, but they all had something to give. And I think um, that it is, um, you know, we're not Jesus. And so I think for us, it's possibly more about us not necessarily giving young people a vision, but encouraging and mentoring and validating the visions that God has given them. As Steve said earlier, you know, we can't talk about they, they're not one homogenous group. We have children and young people in our church who have different viewpoints, different gifts, different passions, different experiences. Um, John Ortberg, some of you might have read his stuff, he writes about um, the need to what he calls handcraft disciples. And he says this, if we really want to help someone to grow, we have to help them in a way that fits their wiring. And our great model for this is God himself, but he always knows just what each person needs. He gave Moses, I like this bit, a 40 year time out. He gave David a harp and a dance. He gave Paul a pen and a scroll. Jesus was stern with the rich young ruler, tender with the woman caught in adultery, patient with the disciples, blistering with the scribes, gentle with the children and gracious with the thief on the cross. God never grows two people the same way. God is a hand crafter, not a mass producer. Now it's your turn. So that really struck me in the, in the sense that we need to recognise individuals' um, passions and gifts, but that we still can work with them and help them to, you know, to find their calling and to challenge them. When we don't have to wait, you know, as Steve said, until they're old and they've got a beard. Um, and so when you think changing tax lightly now when you think about young people who have an influence you will probably think about people like Greta Thunberg who's an incredible um young woman she's determined she's brave she's demonstrating you know through her actions and her words and um, her commitment to raising awareness about climate change and educating people and challenging those in power and holding them to account and she has made a huge difference in changing people's thinking and within the church as well, there were Christian young people who are raising their voices to proclaim God's heart for the world, for justice, for environmental um, action, all right, for anti-discrimination, and um, for this, some of the issues that um, Robert was talking about last week. Some of the loudest voices are coming from Christian young people. 
And um, a few weeks ago, the charities um, Tear Fund and Youthscape jointly published some research about the attitudes of Christian young people. And the findings are really interesting. What I'll do is I'll post the um, bit of research in the chat later on if you want to read it. But it, it found um, that basically Christian young people are concerned about climate change and so are their friends. And they also really care about racism and poverty. And they can see where these issues intersect as well, where racism racism, and you know, climate change um, kind of link together. However, um, although they can see it's a fundamental aspect of their faith, many of them are saying that they can't see this concern reflected in the wider church. We're gonna play a video later on that reflects some, some of these messages um, that young people wanted to give to um, church leaders. But the, the kind of summary is that it's clear um, the church should be at the forefront of fighting climate change because we have a duty to care for God's creation. One young person said this, the church has a platform, it has power, it should be leading the way in responding to climate change and global injustice, but instead, it risks falling behind. Now today I'm not, I'm not, we're not doing a talk about climate change, all right, although I'm becoming increasingly aware and challenged by the fact that we probably do need to talk and act more boldly in this area. But I think what struck me when we're thinking about young people is that there are so many who have a passion and a heart for social and environmental justice and we need to listen to them. I'm going to finish my bit in, with this. Um, David Kinnaman, who wrote a book called You Lost Me, um, talked about the Christian community and he said it's the only place on earth or one, very, one of the very few places on earth which reflects, he says, the, the full scope of human life comes together with a single motive and mission. And what he's talking about there is this intergenerational nature of church, these relationships where we can learn from each other. And as we get to know our children and young people better, as we listen to them, all right, we can develop those relationships and a really positive influence can come from it. So it's my prayer that we, as we, we, that we ask God to show us how to harness the energy and enthusiasm and passion of young people and the wisdom and experience and diversity in our wider church. And those together could be a really, really powerful force that we can learn from each other within, if you like, to influence and bless the world in Jesus' name without. So I'm going to hand over to Ella now to um, just talk a little bit about what matters to her um, as a Christian young person. Thanks. Um, so what is important to me as a young Christian? Uh, I immediately thought of two things. The first being social injustice and the second being people, especially young people's perception of Christianity. Um, and I think these two are quite closely linked because we live in a society that quite actively tries to stop social injustice. Just in the past year, we've seen that in the Black Lives Matter movement. And I think problems like racism and sexism and other issues are something that a lot of young people are quite passionate about. Maybe not all of them, but most young people will have one specific thing that they're passionate about. My social media is often filled with political posts from other people my age trying to spread awareness. And I think in this generation of passionate and forward-thinking teenagers, Christians are often seen in a negative light. We're seen to be against progress or to be judgmental. And this is something that's important to me because it's not true. 
and people would know that if they were willing to have open conversations or even come along to church, but they don't because of the perceptions they already have. They see the small minority that spend more time condemning people than loving people and think they represent the majority. And I don't think it's enough for us to say, I believe everyone should be treated as equals and leave it there because I know I'm guilty of that. We need to actively do something. And this is easier said than done, but simply educating ourselves and being open to talking about these issues is a great place to start. Maybe read a book such as We Need to Talk About Race or start a conversation with someone whose views may differ from yours. Jesus befriended the marginalized and was not afraid to stand up for them. And a few years ago at Soul Survivor, a guy called Tim Alford said something that's always stuck with me. And he said, if we love one another like Jesus did, then the world will surely notice. I think if we are seen to be actively loving those who are disadvantaged, if we are actively fighting injustices, then people's perceptions will change. We need this generation to see the church as being a leading voice in changing these issues and a body that loves and accepts others so that they can see Jesus' character reflected in us. Um, and now we're going to see a video that was put together by Tear Fund and Youthscape following their research. It's a message from young people to church leaders. Um, on the little running order for today, then it just says, Steve, tie up. Um, so first off, um, can I say, uh, yeah, I, I'm just because I'm tying up and I'm finishing our bit off. Can I say thank you to Becky and thank you to Ella? Now, please don't anybody fall into the trap of going, Ella did really well, didn't she, for someone so young? No, just Ella did really well. That's it. And that's the way we should think of people as, as individuals. And we should notice that someone is young, but we shouldn't have that as a defining thing about them. OK, so tying up. I'm not going to try and repeat everything that everyone has said. I just want to do a few thoughts and a few of them are things that I wrote down as, as people were speaking. I think I listen to anybody. I think I listen to everybody. I think I'm massively influenced by the things that I hear on the telly, the things that I see on the telly, the things that I read on the internet. And I think we should acknowledge that that's probably true of all of us. Um, there is a thing in one of Rob Parsons' books, actually, and it just says, children, they hear everything. Now, that doesn't mean they just hear the words that are being spoken. It means that they hear from our actions as well. So if we are to influence young people, and by we, what do I mean? I mean, people who've been around the block a few times, I suppose. But if we are to influence young people, then it's not just the words that we say, it's the things that we do, because they hear everything. And I know I've used the word they, but I think in this case, it's probably justified. But also, let's us try to hear everything. I am not complete. I am not finished. 
this isn't like, you know, that I am at my peak. I've still got lots to learn. And I think I'm influenced by every television programme I watch, every person I talk to, everything I hear, everything I read, everything I watch. I think I'm influenced by loads of stuff. So allow ourselves to be influenced by uh, others. And by others, in this particular case this morning, I mean people that are younger than us. Now, as time goes by, a greater proportion of people are younger than me. But the idea of being influenced by people who haven't had as much experience, it doesn't mean that they are not party to truth. And in fact, some of the truth that we can get about the world we live in now is more likely to come from people who've been living in this particular time for a greater proportion of their lives. Young people listen to everything. Young people hear everything, whether it is spoken or not. Maybe we should try to hear everything as well. Acknowledge that we are not complete. Acknowledge that we are not finished. Acknowledge that we can learn. And acknowledge that we can learn off people that are younger than us, as well as those who have had a little bit more experience. Um, Becky said, we're not Jesus. We're not. I'm not Jesus. It's a good job, isn't it? But we are Jesus. Because the people that we meet sometimes only see Jesus because of the things that we do and say. When they hear us, they hear Jesus. Let's acknowledge that that can be true for our listening as well. And we can hear and see Jesus in all of the people that surround us, including those people that are younger than us. Um, climate change and the uh, environmental injustices, they're not new, but they are something that has come to the fore within the lifetimes of people that we would call young people. Now, that means that that has been in the news for a proportion of my life, but it's been in the news for the whole of young people's lives. So, funnily enough, there's going to be stronger opinions amongst young people than there would old people. So, in subjects that have come to the fore in the last 20 years, maybe it should be people who've lived their entire lives surrounded by that, that we should be listening to. Um, yeah, there we go. Maybe Jesus's disciples were young. So maybe have a look at who leads your church. Um, I know that as at my incredible age of 51, I know it's, again, still hard to believe. But because I've been at Yardley Baptist Church for most, the, I think mum and dad rocked up to Yardley Baptist Church when I was about three. So I've been at the same church for my entire life. And so a load of people who are older than me still treat me as one of the young people, which is ridiculous. Um, and I, I, I couldn't tell you what the average age of our leadership team is. But it ain't young. And what are the qualifications for people having responsibilities at Alton? Because 
Jesus didn't need those response, didn't need those uh, qualifications to, he didn't stipulate those kind of qualifications for people to be his followers. Um, the, the Bible verse that Becky was, uh, <laughs> was trying to in involve about the, uh, bring the children to me. I mean, it was actually aimed at the disciples. So the disciples clearly were feeling arrogant about their age um, as well. And um, so, you know, they hadn't given credence to people perhaps that were even younger than them. How can you, how can Alton Baptist give some more credence to the views of young people? Because I think Jesus surrounded himself with a group of teenagers and they did his work. Um, I'm not, won't say despite their age, but they did his work and uh, they were perhaps younger than you might expect, not... they were like this and um, here's my last little one there we go that's me done um, thank you for listening I can't remember who I'm handing over to but I think it's been fairly seamless so far <laughs>